0: It is that special time of year, the Christmas of the mining calendar. It is PDAC week out of Toronto, often called the world's biggest mining conference. And we have all the details here for you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. And it seems like things are going quite swimmingly. From what I can gather here, we are seeing some pretty interesting, comprehensive coverage coming from the northern miners. So we're going to look at those stories. You know, Robert Friedland out there advocating the U.S. not go to war with China. Hopefully that's not seen as controversial these days. So metals front and center from a policymaker point of view as the world attempts to transition over to a clean energy grid, you know, the so-called energy transition But I still have these reservations, you know, at the back of my head, like, it seems like we're doing so much of this in the service of automakers. Like, is it really an environmental thing to do to dig up an enormous amount of metal and all the energy that that will require in order to, you know, build trillions of dollars worth of cars? Because that seems to be the plan and all in the name of the environment. So... You know, I sometimes I just step back and wonder to myself, like, has this been thought through? Do we need, you know, you know, however many million more cars? It seems like the roads are pretty full as it is. And, okay, let's say we make that argument. And I think, you know, probably most people would say we need new cars. Okay, fine. I will relent on that point. But then how long are these cars going to last? And what is our recycling plan? for these millions and millions of cars. I mean, again, it seems like we are digging up the world's resources. Like, is the human species, is this why we came here, to build a bunch of cars? Is this why we're here? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe this is just the long arc of history, you know, unfolding before our very eyes. And, you know, maybe cars lead to rocket ships that lead us to the stars. So, who's to say? I'm not here to lord opinion over anybody, but I share with you my private, you know, concerns on this whole plan because we're seeing story after story. Now, one of the huge, huge stories that we have been covering here is how car makers such as GM are actually starting to take stakes in mining companies. So this is quite a development here. And, of course, Tesla has been talking to Sigma Lithium as well for a while Not sure where that is, but the reason I bring that up is because everybody's favorite commodities bull, Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs Group, had a very interesting comment that he told Bloomberg Radio in regard to car manufacturers buying directly into metals companies. And as he said, quote, it always ends in tears. It requires an expertise that is very different than producing cars And as soon as I read that, you know, it just had the ring of truth to it, didn't it? As many things, Jeff Curry says. A very quotable person. Now, in regards to cars, we had this other quote. This is all coming up in our news stories here. And we're going to start with PDAC coverage and then we're a bunch of automaker stories. And another fascinating quote in one of the stories that I lifted out here. Raw materials are now the largest cost driver for a battery. Then there was another story. Again, we're going to look at all this where someone at the BMO mining conference was saying, you know, these car companies are now sending their senior managers rather than their junior managers to these mining conferences. It's starting to hit home. So again, I just have a misgiving where like, is this all that let's come down to where we're just trying to make cars? And that is the meaning and the purpose of this civilization of ours. So just fun thoughts here. We have a wonderful show for you. Coming up, we have Brian McEwen for this week's CEO Spotlight, Vice President of Exploration and Development at Golden Arrow Resources. And he discusses the company's many projects, including one in Chile, their flagship, where they have all sorts of iron ore and cobalt and just working in Chile. It's a fascinating interview. A front row seat, really, from people who have been working in South America for quite a long time. So it's a fascinating interview there. And then also coming up for our feature content, we have Dean McPherson, Global Head of Mining at TMX. And I've met Dean, gosh, at least a couple of times at the Canadian Mining Symposium. He's a really nice guy and really fascinating interview. And it's extended. It's about 40 minutes and really in-depth on, you know, what the TSX has to offer. As far as an exchange and why as a mining company you may want to list with the TSX and the TSX venture. You know, what's the difference between the TSX venture and the TSX and when does a company graduate? But also more topical issues like the Canadian government forcing the divestiture of Chinese investment or investment by the Chinese government or thought to be the Chinese government, you know, state entities into Canadian listed mining companies and Dean, of course, is with the TMX, which owns the TSX and the TSX Venture. And so they had a very, you know, hands-on, it was a very real-world situation for them because some of their listed companies were impacted. And further, there was some controversy because some of the properties of these companies that are listed in Canada were in places like Argentina. So, So that brings up a whole other bunch of issues. And then finally, I mean, then we discussed whether the Canadian government should be investing in these mines directly, something we were discussing with Anthony Malowski last week. Again, kind of a pretty novel concept, you know, out here, I would think in the West. But Dean, like Anthony, was saying, yes, we need direct investment. And so this is quite interesting. And, you know, because as many of you know, who are investors in mining stocks, like, People tend to rent them, you know, and it's kind of the practical thing to do. These are cyclical industries. The idea of buying and holding a mining stock for 15 years is kind of the old paradigm from an investor's point of view. Rather, you want to be like Rick Rule, where you buy low and then when it goes up 4X, then you sell them, right? But this doesn't necessarily work if your plan is to build a mine. So, It's all very interesting, a wonderful episode. So let's get right to it. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. And again, we have excellent PDAC coverage there. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner and on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to Brian McEwen. VP of Exploration and Development at Golden Arrow Resources for this week's CEO Spotlight. Joining me today, I am very pleased to welcome Brian McEwen, Vice President of Exploration and Development at Golden Arrow Resources to the Northern Miner Podcast for this week's CEO Spotlight. Brian, welcome back to the show. Hi, Adrian.
1: Pleased nice to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you again. So for listeners who are not necessarily familiar with Golden Arrow, uh, tell us about Golden Arrow, about the company
1: and what you're up to. Golden Arrow has been around now for, I guess, about 30 years. Under the guidance of Joe Grosso, we're part of the Grosso Group. Most of our work has been done in Argentina. We've had some big successes in the past. Four discoveries to our name, if we include our sister company, Blue Sky Uranium. Our last big discovery was the Chinchia Silver Project. That's a silver project in northern Argentina that we discovered and and we brought in a partner, SSR Mining, uh, with Silver Standard at the time. Long story short, we took that with them. And in six years, we took that from exploration, drill holes to to production. And, and that was a big success story to be able to do that, especially for a, a junior company. And from that, we loaded up the coffers. We got a, a good deal when we sold our shares of the, of the company, our our portion of the joint venture company that we formed and uh, that gave us money to go shopping and that was in 2018 and we looked at a lot of different projects we looked at projects in paraguay and throughout our argentina and in chile and this opportunity came up for us to bid on a project a, a, a copper gold actually it's an iron oxide copper gold project in copiapo in chile in a great location that i you know you couldn't have a better place we put in a bid for that uh, in, in an auction and because we had the cash on hand we were able to pick that up so now we've we've got this this project. We've ha- had it for a year. We're we're very excited about the project, and um, you know, like I say, we uh, we kind of got the project. We we looked at it, and and now we're we're full steam ahead. And I think things look very very positive at this point. Well, I think people are always excited to hear from
0: an exploration company with a lot of experience, and it sounds like you have that. So tell us then about this project in Chile. So you're saying it's a few different kinds of metals, like iron, ore. And so tell us more about the project. What, what's going oh, on over
1: there? Okay, so the project itself, it's in, in Copiapó, about 100 kilometers north of Copiapó, actually. In an area of, you know, you talk about elephants, elephants and in, in mining companies, you know, we're right in the middle of, on our project, our specific project, the San Pietro project, we have a, a neighbor that's on the east side of us uh, called uh, the Santa Domingo mine, a project that's about to become a mine. And on the, on the west side of us, we have the Manto Verde project. And and now both those properties are owned by a Capstone. And so the Manto Verde project has been in, in production for a long time. And, you know, the Santo Domingo, they've got plans to put the project into production, and they've got a um, integration plan out, and this is all, all moving ahead very, very quickly. And right in the middle of all that is, is our San Pietro project. If you take the two projects on either side, there's about a billion tons of resources and reserves between the two. So we're, we're right in the midst, you know, a billion tons east and west of us, and, and we're right in the middle. We're the, I like to say, the jelly and the donut of the, uh, of the two. So we couldn't ask for a, for a better location. We, we just happened to be in the right place at the right time when we got the project. And, um, you know, the project had been owned by Sumitomo in the past. Sumitomo and Tech, actually, prior to them, you know, they had worked on the project from 2008 to 2012, and they put that project on the shelf. And after 10 years, they decided, you know, they, Sumitomo did, that they wanted to get out of the business and out of Chile. So they put the project up for, for sale and we, we bought it. So with that deal, we, we get 18,000 hectares, 18,500, that's 185 square kilometers, big area. A lot of targets within that area and you know, a lot of 30,000 meters of drilling and a lot of geophysics and all those things. But going back to your question, Adrian, what makes it interesting is these IOCG projects that are you know, common uh, in this area and you know, some of the largest in the world or most of them are here. Well, Olympic Dam is an IOCG project in uh, Australia, but, uh, but the, the, these ones up in, in, in this, this area is um, what makes them interesting right now is because of the, the cobalt content. For instance, uh, the project I talked about, Santa Domingo, they're in the process of redoing the feasibility study because of the the cobalt content. It didn't fly on its own as a copper gold project uh, in iron, but they started including the, the the cobalt and the value of cobalt these days and the need for this in uh, battery metals. It's you know made a huge difference. And you know they've got a process where they roast it and they take the the cobalt out. They also recover um sulfuric acid which they use for their um for the leaching process and it's 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 great and what we see in our project is a lot of cobalt you know i see areas that we have when you compare the other projects in the area we've got seems to be a little bit higher grade maybe i mean ours are in dill holes and they've got resources so you need to be careful with it with that ours is a lot of it's closer to the surface and uh we just see this huge opportunity that we happen to be in the right place at the right time. And, and so we've, we've just started a drilling program. We started that two weeks ago. We're just finishing or coming close to the end of our, our first hole. This is a six, six drill hole initial program, 2,500 meters. That sits ahead of a, a 20,000 meter program that we hope to be drilling this year. So it's a big project, great location big opportunity for us. So as, as a company, you know, we're re- really excited and we're just starting to get eyes on it. Like I say, we've been kind of working a little bit underneath the radar, you know, with things being shut down and lockdowns, all that kind of stuff. But uh, we come out, we hit the ground running. And, you know, as I say, we're very excited for where we're going. So you have only just begun uh, drilling
0: this project.
1: Yes, that's correct. Just, just two weeks ago, our first drill hole but as I say, we got a 20,000-meter program planned. Well, if everything goes well with this. Um, and the reason these, these six holes are, are first is because when we picked up the project, we, we looked at the database, we looked at all of the interpretations, and we, we had some different ideas of what was going on there. And we did some geophysics that supported our ideas. So this for initial six holes is based on our reinterpretation, and from there, we'll, we'll decide on how we go with the, the follow-up drill
0: program. Fascinating. And how is Chile? I mean, you hear a lot about South America these days and, you know, Peru and everything. How is Chile going for you? And, you know, maybe investors who might think this sounds really good, they might have reservations.
1: So what do you have to say to them because it's in Chile? You know, as a company, we've looked at pretty much all of those different countries and we had success in Argentina. You know, as as far as like getting things done and and mining, it, it just doesn't get better than in Chile. I mean, you've got these big companies investing and and, and going ahead. There was a little bit of a a scare a year ago because they're in the process of rewriting the the constitution of the country. And one of the things that had been proposed is to nationalize copper and lithium and some other minerals and stuff that they they thought were... so there were you know what they were calling strategic or whatever and and so you know there was a scare there for investors, but uh, you know that's gone to a vote and it was it was voted down and you know and everything is going ahead and I know the other companies that are in the area Capstone and tech and you know ngx all these people you know they're they're barging ahead big investments uh, you know in Chile is it's such a pleasure to work in Chile because you can get it done i you know you probably pay a little bit more than you do in some of the other countries, but it it happens quickly we got our our drilling permits really quick. We get our environmental permits really quick. So it's it's a good place to be working. For mining, I don't think there's a better place. Okay, so
0: quite a positive review then. So tell us a little bit about the team then as we wrap up. So who are we dealing with? I mean, all that experience that you were talking about earlier in the interview, I assume
1: some of those people came along for this ride. The group has been together now for a long time. Different people in there, the, the management to the group, I mean, I, you know, there's a I don't know how I think I'm. I'm probably one of the newer people, and I've been there ten years, you know. But there's a you know vast amount of experience on the on the technical side and and on the business side, marketing side, legal side. And in Argentina, we've got a just an excellent excellent team down there, headed up by Hugo Carranza, our, uh, our chief geologist down there. And and now we've put together this group that's working in Chile. We've got a very strong Chilean team, you know, all very well experienced, all very professional. Uh, it's, it's not like you see in a lot of the other junior companies. You know, we're, we're a very well-established team. We've worked together for a long time. All of us have very good experience. So I'm very proud of the of the team. Very, very happy to be with this group. You know, our success speaks for itself. Okay, excellent. So just as a final question here, as we wrap up, what is
0: your message for investors who are considering investing in Golden Arrow?
1: i think that the the message that i i I think people need to consider in our company as well as any other junior company that you're you're buying it is is you want to look at experience of the group you know have they have they done this before i mean who's in in there uh you want to look at their their projects or where they're where they're working is it geopolitically safe and then you got to look at you know where are they financially do they have money are they going to go out and do this big financing and dilute the company and and, and so when you look at Golden Arrow, I mean, you know, we we're very strong in the team. We have a very good project that we I just explained, uh, moving ahead. And right now we have money to, you know, execute this this 20,000 meter drill program and move ahead. And you know I should just touch on the fact that we do have other projects in Argentina. Some of these things that we've joint ventured, any one of those could be a company maker. The ones we've joint ventured, the ones we're exploring. But right now, our main focus is on the San Pietro project. And uh I think that uh, the fact that we're doing our drilling now, we're going to have this pipeline of information coming in. Uh, It is a good time for investors to get in before we uh, pull this all together. So I encourage people to have a look at us. Well, you'll have to keep us updated. It
0: sounds super interesting. And like you say, uh, cobalt is pretty topical metal right now. Brian McEwen, Vice President of Exploration and Development at Golden Arrow Resources. Thank you for joining us on this week's CEO Spotlight. Adrian, always a
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: And thank you to Brian McEwan and Golden Arrow Resources for sponsoring this week's episode of the Northern Miner podcast. Turning to the website, Make Metals with China, Not War, Robert Friedland tells PDAC. And this is by Colin McClellan at the Northern Miner. Robert Friedland, founder and executive co-chair of Ivanhoe Mines, says the West shouldn't go to war over Taiwan because it needs investments from China to mine metals for the global green energy transition. Canada's order last year for China to divest from Canadian companies' critical minerals projects deprives junior miners when investment bank Goldman Sachs says $2.8 trillion is needed to meet carbon zero targets this decade, the financier told hundreds at the PDAC conference on Sunday in Toronto. Quote, We're going to have to find capital from Americans or Saudis or sovereign wealth funds, but we need a lot more money coming to junior mining, orders of magnitude more. So I'm all in favor of not going to war over Taiwan. End quote. The integration of the world economy peaked in about 2008 when China was buying about half the world's copper and making almost everything the world consumed, Friedland said. Since then, the global economy has lost trillions of dollars through balkanization and trade wars after former President Donald Trump imposed tariffs on Chinese goods that President Joe Biden hasn't rescinded. Quote, so we see a gradual, slow drift towards war between America and China. This is a very bad idea. We should compete like the Harvard-Yale football game and break each other's collarbones according to a set of rules, end quote. And scrolling down a bit, Friedland said mining is under increasing pressure to produce green energy metals and ran through a series of statistics. 2.3 billion people have migrated to cities over the last 35 years. People breathe the most carbon dioxide in the air in 2 million years at 420 parts per million, and the Russia-Ukraine war has fired 50,000 tons of copper into oblivion using just one type of artillery shell among many. He also said electric vehicles hit a 10% market share in 2022, eight years ahead of a forecast by the International Energy Agency, and renewable energy capacity reached 320 gigawatts last year, about equal to 320 nuclear plants. That is impressive. If true. Quote, so the United States government initiated the U.S. Inflation Creation Act, setting aside $370 billion. You know, when there's a problem, go to the government, they'll solve it for you. Of course, there's going to be a freakout fighting over this money. However, Freeland said he's open to putting some of the funding to join the $900 million invested in Toulouse, France, based iPulse. That includes money from Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos-backed Breakthrough Energy Ventures. Friedland is chairman of iPulse, which uses high-energy bursts to shatter rocks and mineral ores with a fraction of the energy cost and greenhouse gas emissions in conventional mining. Finally, we have a few quotes here. We're sort of like on a mission from God, like in the Blues Brothers, to completely change the way we've operated in mining for about a thousand years. We're pulling rock apart with electromagnetic pulses. We have a magic pair of glasses that allows us to directly see deep mineralization in the Earth with very high resolution. It's also based on signal-to-noise ratio in the geophysics and machine learning for the software. Friedland's breakthrough in lithium batteries comes via Ivanhoe startup Pure Lithium in Boston. and the help of Donald Sadoway, an emeritus professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, quote, This is a battery with lithium metal, which is very disruptive and frees you from the requirement to use nickel and cobalt. It's a very high-quality battery, Friedland said. So you can read the whole thing at northernminer.com, but it is entertaining and informative as usual. And we have another PDAC story. Energy Transition presents Canada with mining windfall, says McKinsey's Hoffman. And this is by Blair McBride. The shift to green energy will demand the use of all metals, not just critical, in a multi-trillion dollar industrial transition, said McKinsey's Ken Hoffman at PDAC in Toronto on Sunday. Delivering the first keynote speech of the four-day conference, Hoffman, who is head of the consultant's battery raw materials team, said the key critical metals like lithium and cobalt will be needed for the transition, but so will many other metals. Quote, it's the entire spectrum. All sorts of metals are going to be needed. Lots of copper. There's a lot, a lot in infrastructure. We're going to see a lot of aluminum. We're going to see a lot of nickel. And he also mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act passed by the U.S. Congress last August that earmarks $430 billion in spending to incentivize clean energy technologies. And we have a quote, The IRA could add $1 trillion to the battery and sustainability value chain. $1 trillion. It's changed everything. It's going to change metal flows. It's going to change the pricing. It's going to introduce premiums. And a couple of more quotes here. The energy transition will be everything, absolutely everything. The industry itself is looking at something like 15 to $20 trillion impact. And guess why? In the U.S., they don't want to mine, but they want to buy from sources deemed localized, deemed acceptable to U.S. regulators. Canada, we love you. This is where it will come from. Hoffman said to laughter from the audience. And a final quote here. It's the perfect time to go to governments. How can we particularly work with indigenous communities and how can we train people? It's such a no-brainer. I think miners need to have their ducks lined up. What's your strategy for getting the original equipment manufacturers interested? What is my ESG? Am I working with local communities? How am I going to have this refined? If you're ready with the right project and the right boxes is ticked, you'll do well. So it sounds like everything is about the energy transition over at PDAC. And here are some... Other stories, this is Reuters via mining.com, Volkswagen board discusses two new North America plants at meetings. So this is what Germany and Europe have been fearing, is Volkswagen. Do you remember the story from maybe a month ago where they said, we can't build in Germany at these prices? Even with energy down dramatically, it's still not down enough. And now, Volkswagen's board discusses two new North American plants. Volkswagen's supervisory board will on Friday discuss plans for two new factories in North America, one production plant and one battery cell factory, two people familiar with the matter said. While the committee is expected to approve a site for its Scout brand in the United States, discussions around a gigafactory are open-ended, the sources said. Other issues on the meeting's agenda are Volkswagen's annual results and its dividend, the people said. And we have a quote from a spokesperson. We are still working hard to find a suitable location for our first gigafactory in North America and are in good constructive talks. Well, it sounds like they're doing it in North America, and it sounds like they're considering Canada as, quote, one logical option. Another car story, shortage of metals for EVs is rising up the agenda in automakers' C-suites. This is Bloomberg News via mining.com. The merry-go-round of private meetings at an annual mining industry conference at Florida's Hollywood Beach had a cast of new faces this year. Auto sector executives increasingly anxious about surging prices and tighter supply of metals used in electric vehicle batteries. It's interesting. It's not just the vehicles themselves, but they're particularly concerned about the batteries. That is interesting. Tesla, Ford, and Mercedes were among automakers which sent senior staff to mingle with about 1,500 delegates at the BMO Global Metals and Mining Conference, an event normally attended mainly by iron ore and aluminum producers. Their presence underscores the growing popularity of battery-powered cars, helped by a global push towards clean energy, which is estimated to require $10 trillion worth of metals through 2050, according to Bloomberg NEF. Car producers had... Quote, room-to-room meetings with a lot of companies like ourselves trying to understand how to address their own supply chain, end quote, said Trent Mell, an attendee and CEO of Electro Battery Materials, a Toronto-based developer of mining and refined projects. Auto companies have recently expanded their teams and are now filling rooms with specialists in metals like lithium, the metal that's ubiquitous in electric car batteries, and manganese, or in battery recycling, he said. Quote, Once you might have had one or two people dealing with raw materials procurement, and scrolling down a bit, lithium was, quote, a meaningful source of cost increase, end quote, for Tesla in the final quarter of 2022. CFO Zachary Kirkhorn said in January, while a key lithium benchmark has tumbled almost a third this year, prices remain 590% higher than at the start of 2021. Volvo, Neo, and Jeep maker Stellantis have also said they're being affected by the impact of higher raw material prices, and some are looking for new deals with suppliers to tie up potential sources of metals. Like others, EV maker Rivian Automotive is spending a lot of time examining potential new deal structures with suppliers, and this could involve ownership positions in mining assets, CEO RJ Scaringe said on a February 28th earnings call. So... The plot thickens on this whole automakers taking stakes. Now Rivian is saying it as well. GM last year struck a prepayment deal for lithium, while Ford Motor offered a loan to help fund a mine project. And we have a quote from Andrew Miller, COO at Benchmark Mineral Intelligence, an industry data provider, who said, quote, Investing in these raw materials provides a way for automakers to control margins along the supply chain and ensure they remain competitive. Raw materials are now the largest cost driver for a battery. So the plot thickens there. Now the pension funds are getting interested. Battery metals projects catch eye of pension funds and car makers. Now this is Bloomberg via mining.com. And let's just take a very quick look at this one. Critical minerals are attracting new interest from pension funds and automakers to help tackle a looming shortage. The rush for metals, lithium, copper, and nickel... Needed to power electric vehicles has, quote, clearly brought the sector into a spotlight that it wasn't in a few years ago. Elan Bahar, Global Mining Co-Head at BMO Capital Markets, said during a Monday panel discussion at a mining conference in Toronto, well, I assume that mining conference is PDAC. And continuing on here, governments worldwide pushing for EVs, quote, really, really quickly, end quote, to meet emissions targets are discovering supply constraints for key metals, Bahar said, quote, what everybody quickly realized is, one, that the supply is not fully available here, and two, that it's controlled by a certain country that has a 15-year head start, end quote. And as far as pension funds are concerned, they're starting to consider investing in battery metals industry, though some have expressed concerns tied to environmental, social, and government issues and bureaucracy, said Navdeep Baines, vice chair of global investment banking at CIBC. Quote, I've talked to pension funds and they've been like, we'll invest in this space. We've heard of the OEMs investing directly, but we have to see Indigenous issues resolved and permitting issues resolved. Bain said, well, that'll probably be on a case-by-case basis. BMO's Bahar said the sector will need more outside investment to meet future demand. Quote, we need a certain amount of supply that doesn't yet exist, and we need investment beyond the amount of dollars in institutional investment funds. End quote. Well... I don't think it's news to anybody on this program uh, that we need these things. I think we've known for years, actually. And just a couple more here: EU, US working on deal to make EV minerals eligible for tax credits. This is Reuters via Mining.com. The US and the EU are working towards agreements in principle on a deal to make European minerals eligible for tax credits, a senior EU official said Friday. The 430 billion dollar US Inflation Reduction Act passed in August requires rising percentages of battery minerals to come from the U.S. or a free trade agreement partner. The EU official said an agreement could come as early as next week in time for a visit by Commissioner President Ursula von der Leyen to Washington on a deal that would give the EU, quote, free trade agreement-like status. And White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said, We want to make sure there's a good working relationship. Up to $3,750 per vehicle if the available tax credits relate to critical minerals for batteries, taking effect when the U.S. Treasury issues guidance, which is expected later this month. The EU official said it was critical to reach an agreement soon, given moves by some European companies to shift production to the United States. Quote, We need to react now, and we need to at least avoid as much as possible these disturbances by granting an FTA-like status and having better access when it comes to raw materials battery production, for example. Well, I'm not sure the U.S. is going to feel the same rush. So, yeah, so the EU and the U.S. continue their strange relationship to editorialize. It's like, you know, we're all friends on the surface, but under the surface, if you were to just, you know, take that relationship economically and look at it objectively and just remove the names that are involved, I'm not sure you'd have the same you know, picture of the relationship that we see on the surface. Let's just put it that way. A couple of more headlines here. Peruvian communities to resume blockade of crucial, quote, mining corridor. Also Reuters. So sounds like protests are about to resume. Andean communities in Peru will resume a blockade of a crucial highway used by major copper producers next week. Two local leaders said on Saturday following a truce that had allowed mining companies to restart production. Peru, the world's second largest producer, had been facing protests since the dismissal of former President Pedro Castillo on December 7th, including blockades of roads through which mining companies obtained supplies for their operations. So you can read the whole story on mining.com. And a couple of headlines Neocorp's stock rallies on $800 million funding interests for Elk Creek. So Neocorp, of course, makes. Some rare earths, I believe, niobium, scandium, and titanium, all considered they're critical minerals. They make critical minerals. And they also have a processing plant in Quebec. So that is probably the big sell. And you can see the picture of it on northernminer.com. Those are your news stories. And now let's take a look at metal prices. (laughs) Turning to metal prices, let's just look at the 10-year bond here. Wow, the U.S. 10-year Treasury bond is at 3.96%. So right below 4% again. And they've actually just fallen as investors anticipate Fed Chair Powell's remarks. So let me just look at the chart here. At the one day, yeah, so they hit 3.99% in the last couple of days. So right at 4%. And let's just look at the U.K at the gilts and what do they have UK 10-year bond 3.82%. Again, a little close for comfort to that 4% zone, isn't it? So, turning to our metal prices, gold is at $1,835.81 per ounce, that is $25 higher than last week. Silver is at $20.74 per ounce, that is 11 cents higher than last week. Platinum is at $953.75 per ounce. That is $13 higher than last week. And palladium is $12 lower at $1,420.52 per ounce. Copper is five cents higher at $4.04 per pound. Aluminum is three cents higher at $1.08 per pound. And we're going to add iron ore to the mix by special request to a listener on YouTube who mentioned that iron ore is actually a good gauge of the Chinese economy. So let's start doing that. Iron ore is at $125.50 per ton. And lead is 2 cents higher at 96 cents per pound. Nickel is 21 cents lower at $11.06 per pound. Tin is 27 cents lower at $11.49 per pound. Cobalt is 30 cents higher at $15.50 per pound. Lithium, which we're also going to start tracking here, is at fifty one dollars and fifty four cents per kilogram, and zinc is at one dollar and thirty eight cents per pound. That is a penny higher than last week. I mean, what do we see is a general wind in the sales of the metals with a couple of exceptions, and so it feels like you know, let's look at the stock market here for a second, just to compare because it seems like the metals are basically moving with this risk-on, risk-off trade. And there we are, the S&P 500 is above 4,000. So it's at 4,010. So what I see is just general, a little bit more risk-on than last week. And therefore, our metals are higher and those are your metal prices. And coming up, my interview with Dean McPherson, head of global mining for the Toronto Stock Exchange and the TSX Venture Exchange. He is responsible for the development and execution of the global strategy for attracting new listings in the mining sector to the exchanges. And again, the TMX owns both the Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture, if you get confused. So he's head of global mining at TMX. Thank you, Dean, for joining us. It was an awesome interview, and I hope you enjoy it, dear listener, and we'll see you on the other side. me today, I am very pleased to welcome back a familiar face in the mining scene, Dean McPherson, Head of Business Development for Mining at TMX Group to the Northern Miner podcast. Dean, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Happy to be here. Good to see you again. Always great to participate uh, with the Northern Miner.
0: Well, we appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, I've met you before at the Canadian Mining Symposium in London a couple of times. So anyways, it's great to see you over the airwaves here, so to speak. So tell me, you're at TMX and you are head of business development for mining. How are things going in the context of mining and the TMX? What's new? What's going on? How are you guys feeling? Just give us the latest on what's going on there.
2: Uh, We're feeling pretty good. We're uh, pretty excited about the path forward here. You know, like many people in the mining sector, we are um, pretty excited. In spite of a little bit of a slowdown in the market, and um, certainly in the past six months, but the fundamentals certainly point to a lot of uh, reasons to be uh, optimistic and excited. And I think we're the same as I move around and and talk to uh, participants in our in our sector, you know, stakeholders from uh, companies listed and from companies considering a listing, and bankers as well and other stakeholders. Uh, there is a general mood of optimism, um, despite the the slow markets over the past six months. And I think that really has to do with the, uh, the fundamentals. Uh, you know, if you take a step back into, I would say the lat- latter half of 2020, you know, of course the pandemic was a shock to the markets. And once there was a, an adjustment or digestion, if you will, of that shock, the market sort of uh, took off, right? Particularly around the precious metals and and battery metals. And uh, I think as we moved into 2021, battery metals really took center stage and and uh, was the focus for everyone. I, I think as investors and broader stakeholders outside of the, mar- the mining sector came to realize that uh, the mining sector actually has a pretty um, critical role to play, pun intended, in attaining global um, objectives around um, the energy transition. Um, strategy that most governments were embracing, and and so that that I think was really the bottom line, the underlying momentum for twenty twenty one being the year that it was. So, you know, I think the sector around the world, not only in our markets, excelled and certainly had the best year in terms of new companies joining the public markets and companies um capital through the public markets, we had a stellar year. And I think if you look around the world, you'll see the same. 2022 uh, again, due to the fundamentals and the and the recognition by broader investors that the mining sector was very was very central to supplying the commodities needed to to support the energy objectives, the global emissions reduction objectives globally. As that momentum pushed into 2022, we were also optimistic. Of course, we never, no one anticipated the the external shocks to the marketplace, in particular the war that kicked off at the end of February last year. That certainly had a significant impact adding to the, the already challenges we were expecting from the, the pandemic recovery. And so 2022, although at the start we were hoping to be great, turned out to be a, a period of, I don't know what you want to call it, but let's say challenge, certainly by the by September last year it was challenging the markets had slowed significantly and as we came to the end of last year i think broad expectations was that the first part of the, the first part of 2023 was going to be continued to be challenging as the markets sort of rolled out investors were expecting to ride out the global recession that is that seemed imminent So I think we're in the middle of that right now, and certainly we feel it in the marketplace. We've seen a slowdown in IPOs, new companies um, coming to the public markets. We've seen investors sort of trying to step to the side and and understand how long this recession is gonna be and what's the impact. So there's been a general um, um, slowdown in the marketplace. Again, it is as per expected. Um, The expectation seems to be that the first half is gonna be challenging. The good news, is that it's been better than we expected. <laughs> uh, one key indicator in the space is the, the amount of capital being raised. We've seen financing activities picking up at the end of last month and certainly at, by the end of January, in fact. We've seen some pickup up in, in, in select deals. It's not at the pace that we are happy with, but certainly it was encouraging and has been encouraging to see that pick up in financing activities. And I think generally this has always been the case as you see slick deals starting to get done, being pushed across the line. Eventually we will have a full on um, pipe of uh, financings that are being done. On the IPO front, I can say that a few of our issuers that were... Expected to come to market at the, by the end of last year, and I put a pause because of the market trepidations or or investors trepidation that I mentioned earlier. We're seeing now those IPOs are coming back and say, okay, we're beginning to 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 market. We're beginning to talk. We want to start the wheels turning to to hopefully have an IPO before the. The, the middle of this year. So all very encouraging signs and certainly uh, going back to the fundamentals that sort of pushed 2021 into the stellar year it was, those are still there and perhaps even more urgent than than before. And certainly uh, the Canadian government, the American government, and um, the Australian government, of course, were uh, uh, ahead of this. But we are all seeing governments now pushing to execute on their critical mineral strategy and those objectives are still real and still in focus and as they are the mining sectors fundamentals are are still very very much positive
0: well that's fascinating and i definitely want to get into the relationship say between the government and mining uh, but before we do that just you know still on the tmx uh, briefly here it's been a very difficult 10 years you might say from 2010 to 2020 in the mining sector, or maybe 2011, pick your year. So in the context of where we were, say, in the last you know, bull market or 2010, are there more mining companies now? Are there far less? I imagine there would be less, but I don't know, which is why I asked the question. Like, How how are we doing in terms of just publicly listed mining companies
2: in Canada? I think we're doing great. I, for, I don't think the, the beer market extended as long as many might think uh, you know if you look back the market really started coming out of that beer zone back in um, 2017 maybe even as early as 2016 we started to see uh, the sector coming back to life and certainly by the end of 2017 there was a revival in the marketplace what what was new was the volatility the volatility was quite high after 2017. And, um, you know, we've had periods where companies or, or investors are excited and, you know, the market was doing well and, and companies were coming to market, raising capital, et cetera. And then we had long periods of slowdowns. So it, what was new in this new phase of the mining sector? Well, um, certainly I wouldn't call it bull, a bull phase that we had prior to 2011, but there was a pickup in the mining sector. And uh, I think it was new. The mining sector had come back in a way which was interesting in that there was a bit of a redressing, a new approach to business. Larger companies were a lot more disciplined. Management were more disciplined. Investors were asking more factors like ESG became uh, more important to investors and as a result, more important to companies large and small as well as a, a broader sense of uh, fiscal responsibility entered the market, especially for the larger miners. So you saw a bit of a slowdown in M&A activity and then those deals that were done tended to be a lot more, um, let's say, generally accepted as prudent. So, you know, the sector has shown life since 2017 and good life as well, very encouraging, and came back in a way that I think many would agree was dressed uh, more appropriately for the new age and the new demands of not only investors, but stakeholders generally. You know, um, a new way of doing business where diversity was was important, where female participation in the workplace and and at senior board levels as well, not just operation levels at a lower level and a broader um, accountability to the environments in which um, they operated was all all factors that I think added to the long term or are adding to the long term success of the mining sector. And I think if you move the needle along from 2017 to 2021, let's say, we had this stage where, you know, maybe perhaps because of many external factors, the war, for instance, uh, COVID, the mining sector sort of experienced a bit of um, um, transformation in the sense that uh, broader generalist investors started to recognize that this is not the evil sector that that needs to be erased from our industries, but one that was very, very important and without which we will not be able to do this energy transition um, that we've all um, certainly come to realize is gonna be a big part of any objective to reduce global emissions by 2030s or 2040s, that type of time frame. So, you know, the energy transition is a big part of meeting those objectives. And, certain, and, at, this, and at the right time, most people came to realize that the mining sector, we need the, the commodities from this mining sector to it be inputs into the technologies that we have today to execute on this energy transition so it all came together it came together quite well and so what all that did was the we we are in a position right now where we have fundamentals that are saying okay so investors stakeholders have recognized the importance of the sector the sector is more prepared for the spotlight in just the way it does business it's one of the most modern efficient and forward-thinking sector in terms of how it does business and interact with its environment. And it had to do it. It, it, it wasn't by choice. It was, it was demanded of investors and stakeholders in which communities in which uh, mining companies operate. Are we perfect yet? No. There's still work to be done. But I think if you take the mining sector up against any industry globally, you will see that it measures pretty well just because of the nature of its business. It's, it needs to be at the front because it's such an impactful sector. And the impact is immediate in many cases. So the mining sector is prepared for the spotlight and I think the encouraging thing is that this, the fundamentals again support a lot of reason to be to be positive about the future. So yeah, we, we've had many companies transformed, um, companies acquired, companies uh, disappeared, perhaps bankrupt, but Overall, you'll find that the the number, the level of mining companies has not diminished. Uh, We we, currently we have over over 1,200 mining companies listed on both of our markets, and uh, the majority of those, uh, just over 800 of them, are listed on our growth market, the TSX Venture Exchange. So uh, I would say any any notion that the mining sector has diminished is dead. I think more companies are coming to market. We're certainly seeing no sharp decline in in Mining companies come into the marketplace. You know, from every year, every year, you might not have the same number, but we're certainly seeing growth. And we're happy about that. We're very enthusiastic about this sector. For us, it's still a large part of our business. And so, uh, and globally, it's a business that we're proud of because. Ah, uh, close to half the the companies listed globally are listed on our markets, and and more close to half of the financings done globally are through our markets. As a result, so we are still the center of it for both investors and companies listed, and ones looking to get listed, they tend to look to our marketplace first.
0: So, yeah, that is my understanding. Is that the TSX is in fact, and correct me if I'm wrong, the preeminent exchange
2: for mining globally as far as I understand so, so absolutely absolutely I think I think if you have half the, the, the publicly listed mining companies listed globally on your marketplace, I think that's a pretty strong argument to say you are the preeminent marketplace.
0: I, I would concur. So when a mining company or you know big or small, when they're considering listing on the TSX, why should a mining company list on the TSX? Like what do you tell them? Like what is the what is the benefit for them instead of not listing and just staying on the US markets or London or whatever the case may be? Why should they list on the TSX?
2: Well, I think the conversation actually starts with the say the last point I just made about um, this uh, more companies are listed with us than any exchange globally. So if you look at the volumes traded with us as well, it's a very active marketplace. We have a place for every company. We're not a market that favors or have some sort of um, prejudice to large cap companies. You know, we we are a market that embrace early stage companies. We embrace and, and and we have a very extensive and well-developed and a strong team of professionals, capital market professionals, inv- ex-investment bankers, ex salespeople, law ex-lawyers who have joined the TSX to work with companies and provide almost consulting service to our issuers from the point of us making contact at the the prospective stage where we're meeting with companies that are private looking to to come public to to companies that are already listed with us as they grow from 20 million, 5 million market cap up to 3 billion, you know, we uh, 3 billion market cap. Our commitment and, and work with those companies is nonstop. And as I said, a lot of the, the services that we provide are at the highest level of consultancy, capital markets uh, consultancy, because the success of our issuers is, is is critical for us. So I think that's large of a large part of those services that we offer is why we have more companies listed with us than any other um, exchange globally. When I meet with a with a company that's looking to go that's private, let's say, and they're considering different markets or etc. Presenting to them a marketplace that has, not only within the TMX Group, but externally as well within Canada, uh, an ecosystem of professionals experienced in the mining sector and have the deepest knowledge and expertise to help them succeed as a company and to grow, to create value for their shareholders and realizing that this is an objective and a practice that is uh, in concert, again, not only with us, with our internal professionals that will work with you and support you going forward, but uh, with also the, the broader ecosystem of professionals that we have in Canada from our history of being a mining jurisdiction itself. So you are within a country, Canada, financially stable, sound banking system. We are operating a, a financial market. And uh, we are inviting you to join a financial market in a strong country, strong financial background, stable banking system. And we're inviting you to join the largest pool of uh, mining companies globally that have nothing but success success on our market. Many stories of companies uh, starting out, as I said, from as little as uh, $5 million market cap after doing a a, a RTO or or a qualifying transaction through our CPC program, to being multi-billion dollar market cap companies in the space of five years and having investors like BlackRock, uh, having other market and global investors who are trying to get exposure to the mining sector and growing to a level where you're you're so large that you might add um, index opportunities in other markets as well. So many examples of these are on our marketplace. So this is uh the, the key cell really you're you're given an opportunity here to join a bespoke market with many um, avenues of getting listed depending on where you are in your life cycle as a company from very early stage to larger companies already producing have a place in our market you can go to the TSX or the TSXV you can use uh, several one of the several methods of going public that we have so it's a very bespoke uh, operation in terms of process and in terms of uh, the help that we provide after you're listed too, that we work with you to ensure that you, your exposure to international investors, as I said, like BlackRock, et cetera, is, uh, is uh, at the highest. So those, I think, are pretty strong selling points. Uh, it's, uh, it's similar, I suspect, to what the NBA does when they market to, to, to basketball players in, let's say, Greece. And they say, you know, do you want to continue playing in a league in Europe or do you a small league in Europe or you want to come to the largest uh, league globally? Here's an analogy for you. Uh, We would be the NBA of the mining sector, of the the global um, capital markets or public equity markets for mining companies, you know. So that's the sell, really. Do you want to stay in a small league or do you want to join the largest league in the world? I think we have a
0: headline. I I think we have a headline for our story here. Join the NBA. of mining here. So very briefly, we we don't have too much time here, Dean, but I want to just get a last thing on the TSX and TSX Venture before we move on to more current event situations. But how do you see the difference between the TSX and the TSX Venture? When should a company graduate briefly, if possible?
2: I would say if you graduate when investors are, your investor pool has expanded to a level where you're you're finding that you're being restricted by being on one market. And I would say that's a very long time. Uh, we have uh, companies listed with us that are listed on the, on the, um, on the venture that both investors like BlackRock, which everybody would agree is probably the, the largest, the Michael Jordan of, uh, of, uh, of, since we're staying with um, metaphors here, our analogies of the um, investor side. So, you know, you, I would say that the, the impetus to to move from the TSX uh, V to the TSX should probably be driven by your investors, and because what happens is that you are exposed to a broader group of investors by graduating. You are exposed to the opportunity to be in indices to to perhaps expose yourself to a larger pool of passive investors, um, these uh, passive investors that through ETFs etc. who participate through indices in the marketplace. So, broadening the opportunity to broaden your investor base is is probably the key uh, motivation I would say, and really that that motivation becomes real as you grow. And I would, from my experience, and certainly my colleagues here. At Tmx Group would agree that motivation seems to 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 peak, uh, certainly take momentum. You start getting calls from investors, a lot of investors in Europe, institutional investors globally, really, who often are restricted in which market they can participate, and often they are they're restricted in a sense that they say we want to participate in a company listed on a senior exchange, and so then. In that case, you are you, you, there is a strong motivation there to graduate. And the good thing is that we have a very seamless process. Once you are listed on the TSXV, the process of graduating to the, to the TSX is is it's amazing. We have seen an increase in companies taking advantage of that process over the past couple of years uh, because a lot more companies are getting uh, a lot more interest from international investors and from the passive uh, stream as well. And as they do, they're looking to to graduate. And as I said, we have had record levels of uh, of graduations in the past um, two years, and, and certainly we think that will continue.
0: Okay, excellent. So that all makes sense to me. Now, just turning to more current events, we had this situation, I don't know, maybe a month ago, where the Canadian government was asking uh, Chinese investment, correct me a, anywhere along the way in your answer, uh, to kind of you kind of want to remove Chinese interests in Canadian mining companies or Canadian listed mining companies. There's an article in the FT that was quoting you and, you know, and you seemed from my understanding, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like you were somewhat troubled by the fact that they were removing investors without replacing it with anything. So can you speak to that whole situation and what you think should happen?
2: well first of all i, I would say you, you, you just to correct your your description of the situation uh, it is not it is the case where the actual situation is that the canadian the canadian government in in their strategy to protect national interests uh, which uh, certainly that's commendable and something that we i think as canadians we all applaud and encourage, uh, decided that they wanted to take a closer look at foreign investments. And and I think they, 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 their objective is to to monitor the, the level of foreign governments' um, interests or investments in Canadian companies, which is it's, it's something that's routinely done. I think in this particular case, what the announcement was, um, they had identified three companies that had investors that they determined had significant influence or ownership from the national, the Chinese um, actual government, right? So uh, I just wanted to be clear on that to correct you in that it's not that the statement from the Canadian government was that they were restricting from broadly Chinese companies. We have many companies listed with us with Chinese investors. These particular three companies, they, um, to their research and information, decided, determined that these companies had investors Chinese companies that were influenced significantly, influenced or owned by the Chinese government. So that's the situation. As I said, we recognize the the, the need to, to be protective and to take this action. What we were concerned with was the announcement left a few questions unanswered, and I think that created some... Some uncertainty in the marketplace, and I think that was not good. Uh, for instance, one of these companies had projects outside of Canada, and and so we were, you know, immediately in um, stakeholders, companies, and and companies listed, and and prospective companies were concerned. It's like, oh, wait a minute, we thought this was about Canadian national interest. So why why is it that projects outside of um, Canada is a part of this? And the other part of it was. There was a bit of uncertainty as to how broad this action would would go, like you know how long and how wide is it at the end is it the future? Is it that we're gonna go retroactively to a bunch of our issuers and et cetera So we were asking for some um um clarification to remove some of any potential uncertainty that might come up as a result That was one The other response that we had generally was we were encouraging the Canadian government to continue to to be more Involve and, and uh, proactive and um, collaborative in their approach to executing on their, their critical mineral strategy. We, we were concerned that, you know, in executing on their objective to remove foreign influence from the national interest objective would create a vacuum of capital. And so while we're encouraged by the actions of the Canadian government over the past five years, I can tell you the, the government has been more involved in the mining sector and has been more supportive from, and speaking relatively, and, you know, and there are probably people here listening to this and say, oh, they are not. I disagree. I do think that they have been, the, the government has been doing better. And I think it all started at maybe, five years ago now when the government actually came and announced that they, I think it was one of these PDAC events, that they are committed to the flow-through program beyond a year. You know, Traditionally, the government has always renewed that, that commitment annually. And, and five years ago, they actually made a long-term commitment to it. And I think that was the start of what I consider to be a more supportive Canadian government to the mining sector. Is it perfect? No, but it, it certainly has been moving in in, in in the right direction. And certainly uh, we have, from our uh, position here at the center of it, uh, the government has been um, uh, connecting with us more and, uh, and see, asking us how they can help. And this is government at the provincial level and the federal level. Last April, before the provincial government uh, announced their budget and what they were going to going to do about critical minerals and, and the mining sector. We hosted a roundtable here. Our CEO, John McKenzie, hosted a roundtable here where we, where we connected. We brought in companies that are listed with us operating with projects in Ontario and they, the provincial leadership to sit down together and, and through our moderation, talk about how what they can do, what can be done, what we can do what the companies can do to make the mining sector a success, a global success. And I think that's very encouraging. And only one example of many ways in which I think the government is doing more. Last PDAC, the the minister, the national minister responsible for mining, the Honorable Mr. Uh, Wilkinson was here in, at PDAC and met with our CEO as well and I believe this PDAC is going to be here again, and we're hosting a market open on Tuesday morning, celebrating the Canadian mining sector. And I think the minister is going to be there, and certainly our CEO John McKenzie will be hosting that event as well. And this is that, all leading up to ringing the bell at 9:30 to celebrate the Canadian mining sector. So the government has been doing a lot and you know our our singular comment was with regard to this issue was uh, the headline was a bit misrepresented by the financial times by saying that we that i or we uh slammed the canadian government there was no slamming ours we were doing is 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 highlighting a concern um, which is what we should do as, a, as, a, as the world's lead mining um, stock exchange is represent the voice of the, the 3200 companies this is across all sectors listed with us we have a responsibility to be the voice and representation and the the advocate for those companies and indeed for the canadian capital markets so in that role our comments were is that we were a little bit troubled by the government making this move in the way they did we thought they would have been an opportunity to be more collaborative and uh, remove some of the uncertainties that came up as a result of that and also there's an opportunity to add more capital to the sector. And I think, you know, they have, as far as critical minerals of concern are concerned, they did increase the the, the, the tax incentive to 30% the tax break for exploration in the critical mineral space. But we think there can be more. We think there should be more certainly to, re- to replace the kind of capital coming from sovereign uh, funds or, you know, Chinese investors who have been very active in the mining space, uh, providing capital to many of our issuers. We think that the the government can perhaps be more aggressive in creating funds and encouraging investment in exploration in critical mineral space in particular. So we all we were asking for is a larger uh, a larger emphasis on filling any gap that might arise from from removing any group of investors from the capital markets.
0: Yeah, I mean, I looked at that Financial Times article and I would completely agree with your characterization. That was an editor Run amok. I would say, with
2: that headline there. Yeah, it's there was no, I didn't see any slamming in what no, you I, said. I no, I think it was really to get the click. Sometimes you have to... I think to, so. Well, these days you have to be very focused on the content rather than headlines. <laughs> Indeed. So just as a
0: final thing, I want to ask you about PDAC, but just before we move on to there and then we'll be done, but I just want to ask you about what it is that you think the government should do. I mean, I was talking to Anthony Malowski last week, and he thinks, frankly, governments actually need to invest in like they actually need to start providing capital for mines like you know this dumont nickel site he was mentioning in ontario they're not you know going anywhere unless you know put it this way he's saying you know and i think it's very true investors are renting mining stocks they're not you know investing for the long term as he's saying even like the old school investors no longer are sticking with it it's a very cyclical industry and so people move in and out of it so it's hard to build these things so like it's a pretty radical idea for us out here in the west for a government i think to start investing in mining companies but what do you think needs to happen
2: i think you are right i agree with this uh with this comment and this um this strategy in general the government does need to start investing in mining companies Uh, the mining sector is a long-term one i will say if you are if you are looking at examples, I would say. You perhaps can look at the Chinese, the very Chinese government indeed. Uh, Remember, all of this is a reaction to the Chinese having a head start, if you will, on investing in in critical minerals. And not only from the exploration to the production stage, but also in the processing, uh, beyond the mining sector, beyond our part of the supply chain, the Chinese have have invested extensively across the entire supply chain. And I think as the government is, 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 is creating and seeking to execute on their critical mineral strategy in an effort to, in reality, to really play catch up to what the Chinese have done over the past 20 years here, they will need to be more aggressive, yes. And they will need to make direct investments, right, uh, you know, beyond incentives like the um, increase in the flow through our tax breaks, uh, there needs to be actually hard dollars invested in the sector. Uh, this is what, and, and also invested in the long-term because, and why this is critical perhaps is even more so because of the long-term need that is, that your your previous guest said. You see that pattern from from the Chinese, They are long-term investors and this is why they are so Um, often um, welcomed by many mining companies who who, who had not seen that level of commitment from investors before. But certainly most of the companies that have taken advantage of those funds from, and I'm speaking generally of Chinese investment companies, you know, and and mining companies who have invested in so many mining companies globally and acquired so many globally. They are long-term investors and they invest hard-term funds. In terms of what our own government should do, be more aggressive, yes, and make direct investments. and and again, you don't even you don't only have to look at the Chinese. you can look at the Australians. As I said, the Australians have been a few years ahead of us. The Australians have been a couple of years ahead of us, and what we've seen now recently is that the the Australian government has actually started to make some of those hard investments into mining companies in the critical mineral space because it's important to them, and they're they're replicating effectively what the Chinese have done, of course, not to the scale. But they have they're doing a lot more than us. we I've seen recently the Australian government made a direct investment in in final phase investment into a into a mining company in western Australia to to get to production, you know to a debt financing and And you'll see you know that you've seen more. You've seen uh, a lot of investments um quasi national agencies making investments to support exploration exploration of critical minerals in their sector in Western Australia as well. I think this is where we've got to go. We have, the government has to set up investment funds, sovereign funds, has to put more into the mining space in terms of hard dollars, long-term investments. I completely agree with the strategy. That is what we, I think the the sort of aggressive uh, role in filling any gap that might arise from actions that we have seen recently.
0: Well, it sort of removes the vicissitudes of the market and the, you know, volatility in the markets. I mean, if you want to build the mines, uh, here's a way, right? I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, although it does, you know, there it does offend our sensibilities somewhat out here because we're not used to that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, seemingly wake up to cold, hard reality. And if you want this to happen, sometimes you just got to make it happen. As we wrap up here Dean, what are you doing for PDAC? What do you guys have planned? Uh, What's on the menu?
2: We're pretty excited about PDAC. We always are. We we play a pretty key role during the the convention. This year is no different. Uh, we've been long-term partners and supporters of the of the PDAC. So uh, we're kicking off uh, things tomorrow uh, with a market close to ring the bell as we've done in the past in a few past few years. We bring in the board of the PDAC and the CEO and director and Lisa and the team come in, and we ring the bell to close the 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 week of uh, trading and uh, and to bring in and to bring investors and global attention to the fact that, hey, something big is happening in Toronto starting Sunday. So Sunday to Wednesday, we are having the largest mining conference globally. And so in addition to that, we're hosting uh, several uh, delegations internationally from uh, Argentina to Mexico. Uh, We cover entire Um, LATAM and we're we're ringing the bell to open the market on Monday with a celebration of LATAM um, mining and so we're bringing uh, Argentina, Peru, Chile, uh, Mexico, Brazil representatives from all those countries are joining us in our market center facility to ring the bell to start the week's trading and, uh, we're looking forward to that. And on Tuesday, we're also ringing a bell to, as I mentioned earlier, to celebrate Canadian mining. And we're looking forward to that. Uh, Minister Wilkinson and our CEO, John McKenzie, will be hosting that where we have representatives from all the provinces joining us as well. And as well as the leadership from the Indigenous community across Canada who are, as you know, globally, uh, very much impacted by the mining sector. And I think we, we, we're going to show some unity and, and certainly have a chance to, to chat about some of the challenges and ways we can improve our, our sector going forward and the role that uh, all stakeholders, including this community, can play in that and how, how they can also share in what we see as the rewards coming to us from the strong fundamentals in the mining sector that I mentioned earlier. And on on Wednesday, the final market open for us will be to celebrate, to show our international nature. And, you know, uh, we have over half of our properties, properties represented on our marketplace are actually outside of Canada. And we are having our Australian friends join us on Wednesday, the Australian government and Australian companies listed with us. And of course, those that are planning to list with us are welcome as well to ring the bell to open the market. And so those are some key events for us. As well, we're doing market closes uh, during the week, just all of PD- PDAC central. And throughout the, the week, we're hosting several governments. We're hosting the uh, roundtables with several governments. We're hosting a roundtable with the uh, Argentinian government as they seek to share with investors how the mining sector is changing in, in and how the economy and the plans how the government is supporting the mining sector in Argentina. We're having a similar uh, roundtable with the Peruvian government there, who have been certainly at this at the the center of a lot of uh, controversy uh, in recent weeks so they're bringing um their prime minister and their um, minister mining minister here to talk about some of those to in a round table again with our with our companies that are that are focused in that country and uh, uh we also have delegations from mongolia Ghana, et etc We're hosting a a French, a Franco Min um, seminar here. So lots of things going on. We're very excited. And as I said, as uh, we see it as not only our pleasure, but certainly our responsibility to bring all stakeholders together at a time like PDSE, when everyone is in town, where we can sit down and give uh, um, not only governments, but companies an opportunity to talk about how we can move our industry forward. Well,
0: that sounds like an incredibly busy schedule. I hope you get lots of sleep ahead of time because that is <laughs> going to be, that sounds like uh, I, I, not, nonstop. Think,
2: you know what? It's uh, I have a lot of help. We're, our entire company come together right here this week. Everybody at TMX Group is mining. So our marketing team, our uh, company services team we have many businesses as well or data we have a data business that's very very active in tmx data links uh, and we have a trust business that is very active too for many of our our, our companies uh, not only companies listed with us but all public companies globally really but so we we are a very diversified companies and what's great about PDSE is that it brings all of our different divisions together to to show a face to to all our mining companies. And all, of, all these uh, different divisions, as I said, our data business, our trust business, our transfer agency business, and of course, our uh, company services business uh, will all be on the, the convention floor at our booth uh, throughout the week. So people can come up and, and contact not only myself, but my colleagues on the, on the floor of the convention center and, and talk about uh, what we can do to make you a better uh, company.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us at the Northern Miner Podcast. Dean McPherson, Head of Business Development for Mining at TMX Group. Thank you for joining us and join us again on our podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, never a dull moment around here. I'm, again, taken aback at the enthusiasm, really, for government to put direct investment into mines. I... I've basically been saying that for years, but I didn't think it would be popular. Again, out here we like to keep things, you know, basically the government out of our business as much as possible. But at a certain point, if the investment is not working and things are not getting built, perhaps, you know, we need to veer from ideology into raw pragmatism, my friends. Thank you once again for joining me. I hope you're having a wonderful PDAC if you're there. Shout out to everybody who's out there. Look for our booth as well as a free copy of The Northern Miner. And if you want to help out the podcast, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.